0: every team every topic everywhere this is believe.
1: welcome everyone to another episode of revolution recap the revs are back in action with another game against the philadelphia union again the offense failed to launch without carly's heel in the lineup this game actually ends in a 0-0 draw against Philadelphia. Uh, the Revs take uh, a key point uh, in, towards the standings, uh, towards their push for the playoffs. But again, dropping points at home, uh, never a good thing. Uh, I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. Sean, how's it going?
0: Good. I'm surprised you didn't get a chance to uh, mention Matt Turner's man-of-the-match performance. But otherwise, uh, not the uh, not the best performance from the Revolution, but there were some positives in this one.
1: Yeah, you know, Matt Turner didn't have a lot of moments that uh, he had to come up big, but when he did, it seemed like they were very, very big. Uh, There were, I think, three or four times he really needed to come up big, Um, and, I mean, it it just seemed like the uh, magnitude of the saves he made tonight, especially with the play on Brendan Aronson when Aronson gets a through ball into the box, kind of dances around him. Um, It looks like Turner is in complete no-man's land, and and Aronson's going to get around him pretty easily, and you can tell that Aronson thought... Uh, he had gotten around Turner easily, uh, and Turner, just with the, the stretch of the left hand, uh, makes a wonderful save. Uh, and then a few minutes later on on that blast from, from outside of the box, he made a great save there. But enough about Matt Turner. I mean, I think we do enough Matt Turner praise anyway. I think that's just kind of baked into the cake at this point. Um, I mean, I, I, it was a great performance for Matt Turner, but, you know— by his standards, I'd say it's just about average. So, um, Sean, outside of Matt Turner, what was your key takeaways from from tonight's 0-0 zero, zero, um, draw, zero, zero draw? Yeah, I
0: mean, this this was one of those games where a lesser goalkeeper, Rosemarie, lost this game, and that's because the offense didn't do enough. And the, the one guy you kind of have to single out at this point is adam Buxa. Um, you know it, difficult for adam buksa to adapt to this revolution team you know given the the choppy season given that their key playmaker carles heel was out for you know much of the preseason in the first couple games and is now out again um, so you know i think you give him a lot of leeway but especially with carles heel out and the strategy that the revolution employed in this game which i think was you know a lot more focus on playing the ball wide and getting crosses in. And, and, you know, I had the chance to ask Richie Williams after the game, if that was part of their strategy. And, and, you know, he did say that they were trying to get behind the fullbacks um, as part of this counter press. And that was something that they thought they could do. And they had 44 crosses in this game. Uh, Some of the problem was lack of, you know, accuracy on those crosses. I, you know, I think only like 18% of those 44 crosses connected. Um, But, you know, some of those balls did get through to Adam Buxa and he just wasn't good enough. Uh, He he hit the the post on, on one chance that he, you know, maybe should have buried. He had a chance that's late in the game um, that he definitely should have buried that he sent wide of the net. And, you know, there, there's been a lot of near misses from Adam Buxa, um, especially in the MLS's back tournament um and in this game in particular i don't think he kind of lived up to the dp price tag he wasn't as involved in, in the game as you'd necessarily like and if he's not going to be extremely involved in the game you know those one or two chances that he does get he needs to find a way to put it on target or put it in the back of the net and that didn't happen today i don't think the revolution have had enough out of him and i think he is the one guy uh you know several guys need to set up step up with carly's heel out but he's one guy that that really really needs to you know take more of the burden on his shoulders um to kind of carry this team's offense uh with carly's heel out and i don't think we saw enough of that in this game certainly the sharpness on the finishing was not what it needed to be from him
1: yeah and you mentioned the the play in the beginning um i think it was the uh, somewhere around the 30th minute adam buxa hits the post probably the best um, scoring chance for the rebs on the night um it, it it's hard to give someone a lot of crap For that type of play, that type of bang bang play where you hit a rocket off of the post, I'm kind of willing to excuse it. You bring up the play in the 90th minute there where Buxa has the ball in the box and he shoots it, and it's not even remotely close on target. It's well wide. Um, Andre Blake didn't have to move forward. He didn't break a sweat. Um, You know, it's one of those things where you want to give Buxa time and you want to say, oh, you know, it takes time to kind of get involved in an offense. You know, you're missing your your top playmaker. Um, you know, he, he needs better service. You know, it, you can kind of say those things for so long. Um, I think fans are – I think fans have been at the point for the past couple of games of saying, you're a designated player. You're supposed to be bagging these goals if you get three or four chances, you, you got to bury one of them. Uh, and and we've kind of been a little more patient than, than some people. But I'm, I'm getting to that point where, you know, as I say, zero, zero game, if you get the ball in the box, and you're not even close to, to the target, you know, that, that's really brutal for a striker. And it's, and it's more so brutal for a designated player striker. And, um, you know, with this team with Carly scale out, um, it, it just a lot of things are really rigid. A lot of things just aren't connecting together and Gustavo Bo is really alone out there in, in trying to create something It's really hard when your are designated player striker. Um, is just unable to um, Be productive. Uh, we, we don't have stats zone today We have football stats, uh, but Adam Buxa had a 6.4 rating. Uh, he had four shots I don't think any of them were on target. Nope. Uh, he had thir- 13 passes a 72% chance uh, yeah, two two shots off target, uh, one block shot. I guess it doesn't say one shot on target, so maybe in that ninety. 90th- I think
0: I think they didn't. I think they didn't list the woodwork
1: shot, even though it it should have. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh. I think
0: they missed that in the yeah. stats. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So one block shot, three shots not on target. Um, if you want to include the the one off the the post as one on target, um, that's just not what you want from your striker, and and. You know, there are some moments where he, he does okay. You know, he was fouled three times. Um, he was also dispossessed three times. I mean, he, he's just not producing as a, at a designated player level right now. And if this team wants to turn around and and wants to make a deep run, you know, you don't have Carly's heel. You need Adam and you need him at 100%. And, um, you know, it, it's it's really tough. I mean, we're getting Juan Fernando Caicedo production out of him, um, if that, I would say. I mean, it, it is just, you know, you, to, to not get a shot on target um, – and and be the designated you know dp striker and, and he still somehow leads the team in goals um you know it, it's getting more and more frustrated uh, each week that goes by also just as a, as a side note for our listeners we're recording this right after the game so if i sound more frustrated more irritated uh, than usual uh and a little more ad lib than usual um it's because we're doing this right after the game and so you're getting my my raw frustrated emotion uh and so I'm sorry adam uh but man you're you're getting under my skin here buddy
0: yeah, well, and, and you mentioned some of his stats too. Another interesting one, and, and nobody expects Buxa to be a guy that you know necessarily creates his own shots off the dribble. But he did attempt two dribbles in this game, and both of which were unsuccessful. So, uh, just just another kind of stat that that wasn't too favorable for him. Um, and 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 again, I I don't think I think the defense you know did a pretty good job on him. But um, you know he, he didn't win the ball in the air off of, off of crosses as much as you would have liked to have seen. And some of that's the service, and some of that's him tra- needing to find a way to kind of get more open um, when those chances come in.
1: Uh, before we move on, we did have a couple of questions. Revolution Report asked us our thoughts on Buxa, which we, we kind of attacked right off the bat. Uh, we did get a question from Blaze Seifer, who uh, writes for the Bent Musket. Uh, he's been doing a lot of uh, good Revs 2 coverage, so um, if, if you're on Twitter, please give him a follow, uh, and also follow our friends at the Bent Musket in general, but uh, Blaze has been doing a lot of good stuff with Rev 2. Um, he asked us, is a good enough, or do we need to consider strengthening at that position? Uh, Sean, do you think this up issue, is it bad luck? Uh, is it timing? Uh, do you think he has the skills to to eventually develop or or is this what we're going to get and and do we need to kind of look elsewhere we probably won't look elsewhere this season i don't think the revs have a a lot of assets to to trade right now we'll kind of get into that towards the end of the episode we we talk about the moves they made this week but um maybe in the off season you know is this a situation where we, we might already have to move on from?
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's tough to say that at this point, he, you know, he's obviously new to the league. Um, not someone that came over from one of the strongest leagues in the world. You know, someone that was playing over in, in Poland, which is not you know necessarily the best league in the world. So it's obviously going to take some time to adjust. Um, and, you know, again, he's, he's played seven games. Now uh, the revolution have the revolution have, yeah you know, didn't didn't he didn't get the full chance in preseason to to gel with carlys heel carly's heel has been in and out of the lineup which really changed the revolution's offense there's a lot of excuses you can make for him um and you know given he's the revolution a revolution designated player uh, i think there's kind of a a a lot of leeway for him to kind of a lot of he's going to get a lot of chances to kind of prove himself and i expect um, you know he's going to be the Rev starting striker for the rest of the season, um, and, and you know give him a chance to prove he belongs. And I, I'm sure his contract would be you know something that would be hard to offload in the off season if they did want to move in another direction. So I think you know at least for this season and next season, um, the Revolution are going to need him to produce. Uh, so you know it's it's disappointing that. know the way some of his performances have gone recently um but i I don't think the revolution can move on you know like like you said if the revolution are to kind of go out and strengthen their their forward corpse i don't think that's going to happen this season um i think it's the revs are going to live and die by by adam buksa for the rest of, of this year and probably next year as well um but i i think it's too soon to write him off if we're you know saying the same things five games from now maybe not but Again, it's been a, a really, really weird and bizarre season, and you know, also for you know a younger guy like Booksley, he's only 24 years old, just turned 24 in July. Um, I think the you know not playing with fans, uh, you know, has a negative impact on, or can have a negative impact on guys like that as far as you know getting focused on the game um, when they don't have the the crowd and the stands behind them, and it's not a you know typical professional soccer game. Guys aren't used to that, so um, I'm willing to give him a lot of excuses, but uh, yeah, the, the signs are a bit troubling.
1: Yep. We did have one more uh, comment here from MJ. Uh, it's kind of related to Buxa, uh, but he says, overall, I like the attack and it generated plenty of chances, but Bo is still trying to do too much and losing possession as a result. Buxa is firmly in the mix, but I am starting to grow a bit concerned with the lack of finish. Need more from Buxa as designated player and timing hasn't improved. So uh, MJ on Twitter also has kind of the similar concerns as us. Um, and in terms of Bo too, I think that's just kind of him moving into the Carly's heel role, uh, the playmaker role. Um, and, and it's kind of something we kind of expect, where he's going to have some good moments, but he's not Carly's heel, um, with the ball at his feet and he's going to lose the ball, uh, you know, here and there and, 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 make some errors. So, um, overall I thought Bo was pretty decent tonight. Um, again, didn't really, he, he's not firing as many shots off as we kind of hope. Um, but he still had some generated some chances. He still unleashed some, uh, rockets, um, again, not really getting that close to goal, um, nothing too, too dangerous, especially for a goalkeeper as good as Andre Blake. But, uh, overall, I thought Gustavo Bo had a, um, pretty, pretty decent night. And, um, yeah, I, I just, in, in terms of Gustavo Bo, I think this is what we're kind of getting though with him in this role. Uh, any thoughts on Gustavo Bo, uh, Sean?
0: Yeah, I think we saw a lot of the same things we were seeing in the MLS's back tournament when Carly's heel was out and that's, you know, his passing, um, his final, his passing when it's, you know, a chance to kind of lead to goal is a little bit off. Um, and we saw it in this game where there was you know one or two chances where he kind of had a cross, a cross goal in um, kind of a dangerous situation. And the pass was just a, a little bit, you know, a foot or two in front of the attacker and not in a place where they could reach. Um, and, you know, sometimes that attacker is Adam Buksa, and you can question whether maybe his speed hurts a little bit. But I, th- I think the passing has been a little bit off from, from Gustavo bow You know, in this game, he's one guy on this team that you know, know can create that bit of magic to kind of win when the offense isn't clicking. And, you know, he almost did in this game. He had that shot from kind of a tough angle that forced probably Andre Blake into his most difficult save of the night um early on in this match and then you know he had a couple chances later where his shooting boots were were not there again so uh i thought this was you know a, a performance from gustavo beau that kind of fit with what we saw in mls's back you know he had five shots um just one was on target and that was you know a shot from but again, what I thought was a very difficult angle that he made uh, look pretty dangerous. But the, the passing um, is not the same caliber as carles heel. And, you know, if you're looking for him to be carles heel, you're going to you're going to struggle. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I thought it was a mixed bag from him. Um, you do always have the feeling with a guy like Gustavo Bo that it's just, you know, all it takes is one bit of magic to win the game for the revolution. Um, and he almost had that early on in this game. But otherwise, it was kind of a mixed bag.
1: And I don't have updated stats, but I think I mentioned on the last podcast, Gustavo Bo, his average shot, you know, on expected goals was .07 um, and, and he had five shots tonight. You know, I think last year you kind of expect Gustavo Bo to have, have seven or eight shots um, with most of them coming outside the box, but still a few from a little bit more of a dangerous position. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, Gustavo Bo shooting from the middle of nowhere, you know, it, it's going to make the goalies move and, and you know, He's going to get his chances. He's going to unleash rockets like that. But you, you want Gustavo Bo to be in a better position for a scorer. Um, I, I, I'm I worried that uh, teams are just going to be able to figure out that they can keep Gustavo Bo kind of outside of the box, and, and they're not scared of him from that distance. And and maybe one or two will squeak through, but certainly not the production we saw in 2019.
0: Yeah, and he had seven crosses in this one, too. And I don't think that's necessarily the, the position that you want him to be in.
1: He is not a guy you want crossing the ball he did have a really nice play uh, to Christian Pania. I did note in the 20th minute he had a nice little kind of chip pass uh, through the defense to Christian Pena who was streaking into the box but Andre Blake rushed out uh, and made the great play so um, Gustavo Bo has uh, done some he, he has been able to create some chances um, he's had some nice one twos with people um, but he's not he's not Carly's heel and and you know he's he's being kind of forced into this role and man it's tough it's tough he's doing what he can though I i I sympathize with him but uh, we did have a debut that we should get talking about. Uh, Matt Polster made his debut uh, coming over from Rangers. He went the full 90 minutes, which I was actually a little surprised about. I think he, last week he said he was about 70 minutes fit. Um, maybe that was two weeks. Time is kind of all running together in quarantine, like month five or six in the quarantine. So. Uh, but he, 90 minutes from him, uh, 58 uh, accurate passes for an 89% uh, uh, Pass success rate. He created one chance. It was that beautiful chance in the 80th minute where uh, Bo and Polster did a 1-2. Uh, uh, Bo went into the box, and then Jack Elliott blocked the, the uh, Gustavo-Bo chance from behind. Um, a really nice play, though, from Matt Polster. Um, only 3 for 10 on duels. I know that's a concerning fact for you, Sean, because you're the dual king. Uh, <laughs> but he also had one clearance. He was dispossessed once. Uh, and then he had, he had two interceptions, seven ball recoveries. Uh, he did have three fouls and a yellow card. He did have a, a few a kind of aggressive tackles in the beginning, uh, but you know he, he was very physical getting out in the field. He hasn't played uh, a soccer match in a while, so he, he clearly was ready to go in that first half and uh, calmed down a little bit after his yellow card in the 45th minute. But Sean, uh, Foot Mob gives him a 6.5 rating. Uh, I think that's a little harsh. I, I'd give him kind of an average 6'7", six, 6'8", six, uh, but I guess that's, you know, splitting hairs there. Uh, what were your thoughts on Polster's debut?
0: Yeah, and, and one last stat was he was 0 for 2 on tackle attempts, um, but I thought overall Matt Polster's debut was, was very much a positive. I mean, you you have to be realistic here. This is the guy that hadn't played a competitive match in a very, very long time. Um, there was obviously going to be some rust there. He was a step slow at times. I think all of that is to be expected. Um, with that said, I thought he provided kind of the physical presence the Revolution needed. From that position, especially with, you know, he's gonna be partnered with Kellen Rowe. Um, You know, when they lost Wilfred Zahebo, they needed someone to kind of take over that role. And I think Poster did it pretty well um i expect him to get better as the season goes on i think you know even next game i expect him to be better but there were a lot of positives you could take away from this game and his performance uh and i think there's you know no reason he's not going to continue to be that starter going forward the, the one concern again is kind of the the fouls that you mentioned and the yellow card he picked up in the first half it's it's tough when your defensive midfielder picks up a yellow card in the first half because they are supposed to kind of be that enforcer and if they have to you know, pull back on challenges because they're on a yellow card um that's not great but but you know Again, it's his first game in a very, very, very long time. He's had a lot of injuries. His fitness is probably not 100%. um, And, you know, overall, mostly, mostly positives from him here and a lot for him to build on. So I think this was, you know, a good debut for the revolution for Matt Polster, um, but room for improvement.
1: We did get a question from TSB11 on Discord. He says, when was the last time the Revs were this strong in the center of the park, Uh, meaning the center backs and central midfield? Obviously, Polster... Uh, gives a kind of a boost to that midfield. Um, Kellen Rowe too is is playing phenomenally. I think we're getting a lot more production out of Kellen Rowe than we had expected when he had re-signed in New England. Uh, and also another great start from Henry Kessler, who um, you know continues his rookie of the year campaign. If rookie of the year is being handed out at the end of the year, I don't know if MLS is still doing that. But um, Kessler had another strong performance, and Andrew Farrell had some really nice plays toward the end of the match the, uh, tonight. Um, uh, Montero got past him. He tra- he tracked him down and made a really really nice tackle. Uh, to to block across along the touchline. So, um, really really nice performance from that center back pairing tonight. I thought. Um, and and again, Polster with some positive marks. Um, Sean, when was the last time the Revs were this strong in the middle of the field?
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's a good question. I think you said somebody responded with twenty fourteen, and that might be the right answer when you know when Jermaine Jones was here and healthy. Um, you know, with, with that said, it's very interesting to see how strong the revolution have gotten here, uh, and a lot of it's just you know a lot of it's Bruce Arena's tactics. You know, even at the start of the season when maybe there weren't that many changes to the lineup. You know, they added Kessler, but. Um, the central midfielders were the same. They still looked pretty strong um, in those positions compared to, to past years. So I think a lot of it is Bruce Arena's tactics. Um, and, you know, he, he sets those guys up to be successful in the way he has them play, um, as opposed to, you know, kind of having to play that press style where, uh, you know, they're constantly getting burned. Um, I, I think Matt Polster looks like he's going to be a really good addition to the revolution. And I think him and, and Kellen Rowe could form a decent pairing. Uh, Rowe is, as you said, playing a lot better in these past several games than we kind of expected based on his performances the you know last year um, bouncing around the league and even based on his preseason performances and kind of his lack of uh, minutes in the early revolution game. So uh, a lot of good surprises there. Henry Kessler I think is playing really well. Andrew Fowl and him are, are, are building a good relationship back there. Um, I don't know where Tony De La Mea was today. Uh, he was not on the bench or in the lineup. Um, and he was a guy that you might've thought would have started this game based on kind of what we saw in, in the mls's back tournament over henry kessler but he didn't um so i'm not i'm not sure where he was uh but i think the andrew farrell henry kessler pairing has a lot of potential here um with that said there were a few moments in this game where they got stretched and, and kind of needed matt turner to bail them out uh but you know <laughs> given the kind of the weakness we've seen in the past several years uh, from those central positions, you know whether it's the central midfield or the the center backs, uh, they have been a lot better this year. And I and I think you could probably say that as far back as as 2014, since they were last as strong as central midfield. Although going back to 2014, I think you could say the 2014 team was a step above this team as far as their strength in central midfield and central
1: defense. Yeah, I think 2014 is your gold standard, uh, at least in recent Revs history in terms of a, a, a lineup. So yeah, I, I I was I was thinking about this before the game. I, I don't think they're or before the podcast, I don't think if Polster does pan out uh, and if Kellen Rowe keeps up this production, I I think this is the best lineup we've seen since uh, 2014. Now, you know, maybe there's another injury. Maybe Polster doesn't work out. Maybe Kellen Rowe regresses. Um, But overall, I I think you have to be really encouraged with how the defensive back line has been playing um, and and how the central midfield has been working out. Um, And and then with the addition of Tommy McNamara coming in off the bench, I imagine he's going to be kind of a rotation depth piece central midfielder um, that I think gives you a little bit another option to come off the bench because I know Diego Facundes doesn't really fit into that central midfield role that great. Um, you know, he's, he's been OK. And, and Scott Caldwell has been fine this season. Uh, but again, he, he's kind of more of a defensive player. And I think Tommy McNamara gives you kind of a backup to Kellen Rowe that, that really um, strengthens that middle of the pitch. So um, overall, I, I think 2014 is the correct answer uh, on this one right here. Uh, we did get a question from Revs Revolt on Twitter. I would like to hear your opinion on the Revs' ineffective set piece chances tonight. Um, I don't have the number of how many set piece chances the Revs had, but I'm guessing it's somewhere between one and three million. Uh, <laughs> none of them were successful. I did notice that uh, Gustavo Bo is no longer taking corner kicks. It was Kellen Rowe from the right side and Alexander Bootner from the left side, uh, but to no avail. Uh, Sean, set pieces becoming a big problem. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean we're we're missing some of the the great stats we usually get from stat zone for, for the set pieces. But I think the, from the eye test that they, they were pretty poor, they had nine corner kicks. Um, you know, I don't really recall any of them being particularly dangerous. Uh, it, it's interesting because I, I actually thought earlier in the season, um, there was a you know, pretty good improvement on set pieces. I thought Bruce arena had them actually looking pretty dangerous on these, uh, but that definitely was not the case in this game. You know, missing Carley's heel hurts. I think he's probably their best set piece taker. Uh, Kellen Rowe, at times, has looked good on corner kicks. Alexander Bootner, I think, you know, at times has looked good on corner kicks. Um, but it's disappointing. With Carly's heel out, and you know, with the amount of time the the revs get fouled, and we're put in good positions, they need to do a lot better on set pieces. Um, you can't waste those chances. When you have nine corner kicks, you know you got to put some shots on target off of them. Um, I, I think it's disappointing from the Revolution the the way they treated the the set pieces this game, and it needs to get a lot sharper for sure.
1: Yeah, and usually set piece defense is what we're complaining about. Right. Uh, from the Friedel era, it was seem like once a game there was. Uh, one or two set pieces that were just complete disasters. And uh, now the set piece offense is is really coming to uh, bite the revs. And and for a team like Philadelphia, that you know, I, I think Philadelphia has really figured out the New England offense, especially without Carly's heel. It seemed like they were trying to, uh, you know put the ball out for, for corner kicks. Um, I know there were a bunch of intentional fouls. that got them a couple of yellow cards in the middle of the game. Um, they just didn't seem scared about set pieces. Uh, it seemed like that was the type of game that they wanted to to uh, create, especially after 20 or 30 minutes when the Revs were kind of running them off the field uh, and keeping them uh, in their attacking third. It, it just seemed like Philadelphia would much rather have a free kick uh, and foul you 25, 30 yards away from goal than you know risk someone getting by and driving a low cross. It just seemed like that was... I don't know if that was an adjustment uh, or something that Philadelphia talked about before the game, but Philadelphia was not at all scared of any corner kicks or free kicks from the revolution. Um, we did get a couple of questions. Randy LH asks us, have we seen enough of Taeyan Buchanan and DeWan Jones? Revolution Report says thoughts on Buchanan. Um, Dewan Jones, I actually, uh, I'll I'll just kind of say right now, we'll, we'll start with him. I, I didn't think he was bad. I thought he played really really well. Crossing needs a lot of work. He's not as good of a crosser as, uh, Bootner or, or Brandon Bye, and, and not to say Brandon Bye was spectacular tonight, but um, Jones obviously crossing, I, I don't think it needs a lot of work. He actually had a shot on target that I think was supposed to be a cross, but it, it turned out to be a, a rocket uh, right at Andre Blake. So um uh, i still like DeJuan Jones speed i'm excited that, of using him at right back i think for you know the way the revs use brandon by where they push him up a lot and, and counter press at times and, and really kind of pin him up the field and get him involved in the offense i think DeJuan Jones coming in the 60 65th minute and putting him in that offensive full back type of role um I, I think that's a really really good spot for him to be in and, and and another thing too i noticed is that um with matt polster polster was covering for uh, uh brandon by a lot on that right side I mean, he, he's a right back slash defensive midfielder. So uh, I, I think, uh, you know, instead of Wilfred Zahebo, who was a little bit slower, tr- had a difficult time tracking back at times, Matt Polster kind of is able to uh, kind of fill in those gaps in the right a lot better than, than uh, Wilfred Zahebo or, or Scott Caldwell did, uh, since those guys are, are not as fast as Polster. But I, I'm getting away from myself a little bit here. Um, Dewan Jones, I, I think, you know, if you want an offensive right back, I think Dewan Jones' speed is is a really, really talented weapon. And I've been advocating for a long time, bringing him off the bench and using him as a right back right winger in the late later moments so um sean any disagreement there on dewan jones
0: no i i completely agree with you on dewan jones i thought he was you know decent in this game and i think you know he's your first choice backup left back because sesinovic hasn't hasn't been good this year and he's your first choice backup right back um and I would like to see him at some point get a chance in the midfield. We haven't seen that, but I, I thought he was, was fine in this game. I, you know, I agree his crossing um, could use some work, but I, I, otherwise I thought he had a good performance um, coming off the bench as far as Buchanan, um, you know, I think, you know, I, I tweeted out when he came in that this was a re- you know really big minutes for him because Kakune Mene is coming. Uh, McNamara is coming. Uh, lots of guys that play the same position as him are about to be options for the revolution. And this was kind of Buchanan's maybe last chance before those guys get here and are able to play um, to, to prove that he continues to deserve minutes. Um, when those guys come, and I don't think he did enough. Uh, you know, maybe it was kind of an impossible task for him in in 25 minutes to show that. But you know, if you if you look at his stats and if you look at what he actually did, I don't think he did enough. He was uh, he attempted two dribbles, neither was successful. He was dispossessed twice. Um, you know, he didn't win any. He was 0 for one in aerial duels. Uh, 75% passing. He only attempted uh, four passes and completed three. Um, you know, he gets himself in good positions, and he has a ton of speed. Uh, but the, the accuracy or the, the sharpness is what's lacking from him. And, um, it's hard to get that with lack of minutes for sure. I mean, that's, that's part of this is that he doesn't get enough minutes to really build that sharpness and to, to show he can play at this level. So then to ask him to come on the bench and, and kind of change a game is asking a lot. Um, but I think with, with Kahuna Mane coming and Tommy McNamara, I think Tejan Buchanan needs to get loaned somewhere, whether that's Revs two, which, you know, I'm afraid, you know, probably isn't a high of not high enough level for him. I think he kind of needs to be at a USL championship. To team where he can get minutes i think that would be a lot more helpful to him um or you know where, wherever he ends up i think he needs to be loaned somewhere and i think it was unfortunate that the revolution didn't find him more minutes last year um whether it was but the first team or being loaned somewhere uh because i do think that's impacted him and that's par- probably part of the reason why he's not as sharp as he needs to be
1: well he, he played last year under friedel um he, he played on the wings and I know Bruce Arena came in and Bruce Arena, I think he had one appearance for one minute last year. Uh, but it seemed like Tayon kind of was coming into the rotation a little bit. He's made a bunch of sub appearances under Bruce Arena um, or I, I guess uh, Richie Williams tonight, but um, we've seen a lot more of him in 2020. And he's a completely different player from what we saw in 2019 In 2019 when, when Friedel was playing him and he was getting starts, he was, he was, you know, he had a few assists under his belt. Um, you know, he, he seems a lot more um, I don't want to say finished, but, uh, he he seemed like he was going to be a contributor and a really really strong prospect and and he he is so one dimensional right now, he is very one dimensional in terms of what he brings to this team. He's fast. That's it. That's really all he can do. Um, the 80th minute, Tayon gets the ball at midfield, a ton of space. He has to carry the ball across midfield, touches it once great. His second touch, I mean, you would have thought it was like a goal kick. I mean, he kicks the ball straight to the defender who's, you know, 10 yards away. Uh, just a ridiculously super heavy touch that you would not expect from a major league soccer player. Um, I do think that USL League one, I, I think now that Revs 2 has started, uh, and I've watched a few games. I, I know in the past we've advocated for guys like Justin Rennicks and Teon Buchanan and Dewan Jones to go down to, to League One, and I don't think that would really do a whole lot for for their development because, as you said, I think there's a really, really significant talent gap um, between – there's a there's a significant talent gap between the MLS and, and the USL Championship, and I think there's a really significant talent gap between the USL Championship and, and USL yeah. League One as well. And I think I, – Justin Rennicks especially, you know, you can't put a guy who was in the U, U-20 World Cup down at um, USL League One and, and have him going against, you know – second and third round super draft picks I don't think that does a whole lot for him because he was already in college and, and the, I, I mean I guess it's a little bit of a step up but I, I kind of equate league one as college soccer level um Taeyon Buchanan I mean I don't know what the answer is but I don't want to see him in a tie game uh, have we had enough of Taeyong Buchanan I have I don't want to see him in an, another tie game for the rest of 2020 especially with the guys they're bringing in um he's fast that's great I could, I could maybe see him if you want to put him up at striker, if you want to, you know, if Renex is unavailable or if you want to take out Buxa, I mean, but his touch, I mean, he's, he's so raw. Uh, and I don't know if he's in his head. I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I don't know if he's still a little shaken from the Montreal header. I, I don't know what's going on there, but um, I, I don't want to see him in a tie game again. If you if you want to bring him on in a 3-0 game, go for it. But, um, you know, the winding minutes of a 0-0 draw bring on Taeyang Buchanan, um, I, I mean, the skills aren't there. He was kind of getting in Books's way. They're making the same run at points. Um, I, I really was not impressed at all with Tayon, and I wasn't impressed with him at the MLS's back tournament. So, um, I, I hate to say it, but I mean, he needs a lot of work before um, he, he's an impact sub at this point.
0: Yeah, he's, he's a very raw player still. And he's 21 now. He was 20 last year. You mentioned he got a lot of minutes under Brad Friedel. He did. Um, but at the end of the year, his, his minutes got so low that he only finished the season with 391 minutes. And for a 20 year old. In need of a lot of game action to, to develop. Uh, that's not nearly enough. And, you know, this year he's made one start. Um, after this game, I think he's still under 150 minutes. Um, he, he's a guy that, that needs playing time. He's not ready yet. And I think you know, when Kakuta Mene comes, when Tommy McNamara comes, he's going to be buried on the bench. So if you can find an opportunity to loan him to a USL championship team where he's going to get regular minutes, if, if Birmingham wants him and he'll play there, <laughs> or if some other team wants him and he'll play there, if Hartford wants him and he'll play there, I think that's what you have to do. And I think the, the same thing with Justin Renix too. Uh, Renix to, to an even greater extent, hasn't gotten, you know, barely any minutes with the Revolution over the past two seasons. Um, and, you know, guys at that age, if they're not getting minutes it's really going to stunt their development and and you know in an ideal world you're you're keeping them with the revolution first team to train um in in an ideal world the the providence usl team or the Pawtucket usl team uh has started and is in the usl championship and you can have still train with the revs and maybe loan them there to play at a higher level but that hasn't happened yet um but both of those guys Uh, I don't think, are ready yet for the Revolution. Um, But I do think are too good for USL League One and won't benefit all that much from playing at that level. Um, So I think you need to find them an opportunity to kind of go to a USL Championship team and and get minutes
1: there. I will say with the two games a week, I think we could see some significant minutes for Justin Rennicks. I think there is going to be some rotation. And if Adam Buxa is grinding and he isn't producing, I mean, bench him for one on the midweek games give Justin Renick's 70 minutes and then put books on for the last 20 and see if, you know, see if that mixes it up a little bit. I, I you know, uh, Bruce arena did say at a press conference earlier, there's going to be a lot of rotation. We heard that at the MLS's back tournament. We didn't get a lot of rotation except for that third uh, game, the Toronto FC Tuesday morning game where um, you know, players were on two days of rest. So uh, I don't, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I'm not sure how much rotation we're actually going to see. Um, but I, I think Justin Renick's. I'm a little more hopeful. We'll get to see more of him in the future, um, uh, especially in the next coming weeks. I know their next game is Tuesday. Um, so that might be enough of a, you know, gap in between games where, where maybe you run out the starters, but you know, after that, they have a game against NYC FC on a Wednesday. Uh, I mean, they're, they're doing two games a week for the next few weeks. And, and rotation's important I want to see Justin Rennicks uh, get a started, at striker uh, uh, If Adam Buchsa, especially if Adam Bukza, um continues to fail Taeyan, I don't know where you could put him I, I just, I'm running out of answers for him and, and I don't want to give up on him entirely He's 21, he came out of college two years early um, He's got a Generation Adidas contract uh, Which means he's on the supplemental roster uh, Which means his salary does not go against the uh, salary cap so th- there are some advantages to keeping him on the roster, especially if you, you think there is potential with him. Um, so I, I don't think the revs are going to ditch him entirely, but you, you really have to think about, you know, how's the best way to develop him and how's the best way to uh, continue his growth uh, and his ball skills and, and kind of make him more of a finished product. Um, And you're right. I don't think giving him five minutes here or there and having him run, chase down balls down the wing um, is really going to do anything for his long-term development.
0: And I agree with you on Rennix. I'm just afraid that the reality is going to be that when Kukuda Mane is here, when Tommy McNamara is here, it's Teal Bunbury that's going to be on the bench and it's Teal Bunbury that's going to be the option to to spell Buxa when when Buxa goes down. I would... Personally, you know, very much like to see Justin Rennix get a chance like that. But, but my guess is that um, when Bruce Arena has that decision to make, it's going to be Teal Bunbury that gets to start um, when get, when and needs rest.
1: Well, and they signed Bunbury to an extension too. Right. So I don't, I mean, you got to find these guys minutes. And and it's one thing if, you know, it's one thing if you're, you're giving them one every three games or one every four games or, you know, you're sending them on loan to Hartford or, or something like that. But, you know, Justin Renick's coming in in the 86th minute, doesn't do anything in the long term. So, yeah, I, 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 I mean, we have we have the same concerns, and I guess I'm a little more optimistic or or naive, depending on how you want to look at it, on um, the fact they're going to squeeze them into the lineup. Um, we did get a, a couple of questions here. David Sibillion asks, are the Revs too predictable on offense? Um, I'm going to kind of combine a few questions here. Are the Revs too predictable on offense? Uh, Zach asks us, is it time for a formation switch to a 4-4-2? Uh, and then Josh Goulet asks us, heel is that important, huh? Uh, what is he doing that no one else is? How is it, or is it that teams line up against him versus without him? Uh, I'm confused in the difference between uh, Carly Seal in and out of the lineup. So, kind of a lot to, to talk about, kind of all about the offensive frustrations. Um, Sean, first off, it, what is it about carly's heel that you know when you take him out of the lineup that that makes the struggles and with that is a 4-4-2 the, the answer to these struggles
0: i mean carly's heel is a facilitator on this team and they don't have anyone else that can do what he does uh you saw the amount of chances he was creating in the mls back tournament before he went out injured there, there's nobody else on the team that can take the ball and kind of just dominate a game the way he does it's just He's he's a very very special player there's a reason why you know he was a you know best 11 player for for MLS he's he's just a very you know unique player that the Revolution can't replace with anyone. Diego Fagundes cannot spell Carles heel. Gustavo Bo can't go back in that position and play Carles heel. You know, when Carles heel is in the lineup, the Revolution can actually be a possession team and use him as the facilitator to create chances. When he's not in the lineup, I think they almost have to play more of the way, more you know, more resembling the way that they would play under Brad Friedel, where they're more of a counter-attacking team and a pressing team. Um, it, it's just... He's that kind of guy that completely changes your offense. Um, he can play that defense splitting pass. He can get out wide and put a cross in. Uh, he, he can do just about everything that, that you need from a, a number 10. And, you know, when he's out, they don't have somebody else that can do it. And it's, it's not shocking that the Revolution don't have a backup that can be Carles heel. I don't think, you know, any team in MLS has a guy that could, you know, <laughs> that Carles Heal, a player of Carles heel's caliber could go out, uh, at the number 10 role and they could replace him with someone that could, you know, do something similar um but yeah when when Carlos heels out the revolution have to change their style they can't just flow the run the offense through him and part of Carlos heel too is you see he gets double team players you know players are quick to to move to him and cover him and that leaves openings for other guys and uh, when he's out gustavo Bo still draws coverage but uh there's a lot less openings for other guys and they have to find a way to get around that i think what they did tonight um kind of exploiting the the outside backs and pushing forward and, and getting into the flanks was a good idea. Uh, I think they had success with that as far as creating chances. They didn't have success with finishing those chances or getting on the end of them, um, but that was a good start. I don't necessarily think a, a pure four-four-two is the way to go. And and because you know, the reason I think that is I think Gustavo Bo isn't really exactly a number nine. They talked about that on the broadcast. He's kind of a, a nine and a half. He's not a 10. Um, he's more of a kind of a withdrawn forward or a floater. And I guess if you want to call it a 4 4 1-1. Um, but then I'm not really sure that's much different from what the Revolution are trying to do now. Gustavo Bo, I think, is good as that kind of floating player um, that you know gets on the ball maybe a little bit deeper and kind of can create his own chances for himself. Um, and I think they kind of need that when carles heel isn't out there. Uh, is it going to be harder for the Revolution to create chances and score with our carles heel? Of course. Um, but I, I do think they created a lot of chances in this game, especially early. And they just didn't, you know, the final pass or the final touch wasn't there. Um, so i don't think it necessarily justifies a complete formation switch and i don't think you know a four-four-two where you know gustavo Bo is playing kind of as a, as a pure striker um is the right answer
1: yeah i think the answer is you, you got to figure out a way to get gustavo Bo more open or, or you know because the, the the double teams that carly seal used to be drawing now is gustavo bow and he doesn't work as well uh with ball control and in those tight spaces so um and I don't know who else is going to be the guy that is effective in passing the ball, um, especially in the middle of the pitch. I mean, you can have wingers, you know, chase the ball down in the corner and cross all day. I think the opposition will will really enjoy if you you do that. Um, I I just don't think, I don't know if they have the manpower right now um, to do that. You you would think Diego Fagundes would be that guy that could maybe uh, pop in and and be the Carles heel role since Diego kind of played that role in 2018. But um, obviously the current coaching staff, I think, doesn't think he can handle that. So um, it's interesting. I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if a formation switch does a whole lot, as you say. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily that it's they're too pre- predictable. I think it's just that their offense is not going to be able to create as much chances. And they just can't finish the chances they do create. I don't get why they can't do that. Um, it, it's easier said than done. But um, I, I think this is kind of the system they've got built. And, uh, I mean, mean, we're, we're going to have to sweat it out the rest of the year. We just got to hope they start burying their chances.
0: Well, you posted, I think you found the, uh, expected goal stat for this game. And it's interesting what the revolution had two expected goals in this one. It kind of surprised me.
1: 2.01. They had 15 shots. They had some pretty decent shots. The problem is they had one on target. They had one out of 15 shots on target. And when you have when you have two expected goals and you don't score, that means one of two things. It either means that you're finishing and, and you know, you, you underachieved in terms of hitting the net or, or making a, a, a quality chance out of a, a play that, you know, if you have a .5 expected goal chance, you have a 50-50 chance of scoring. So either, you know, the goalkeeper had an amazing save or, you know, you didn't do well enough. You know what I mean? Um, so when you have two expected goals and one shot on target, when Andre Blake has to make one save against you on two expected goals, I mean, that, that means your finishing is poor and, and your offense is just, you know, just not productive. It's, it's just not a very productive offense right now. Um, yeah.
0: But, but that, certainly <laughs> says it all. Lends, that certainly lends to the, you know, the thought that they are creating chances because two expected goals isn't a bad number.
1: Yeah, you're you're either unlucky with with a two goal difference between goals and expected goals, or you're bad. And and tonight they were bad. We uh, this kind of ties into the next question. Fire fluid motion says, what are our biggest downfalls? Our offense has been facing, and I I would I would say the finishing. He says obviously our crosses are trashed. You touched on the crosses earlier. What what was it? Forty four crosses today, Sean. Yeah, for, forty four crosses
0: of which I believe eighteen percent were successful. That stat was actually a lot worse earlier in the game. So I think they their crossing got slightly better towards the end of the match. At one point I looked and it was 13%, but it finished at, at 18% of their 44 crosses were, were successful.
1: And and I know we've talked a lot about Brandon Bye's uh, crossing ability, and I know that's been under a microscope. I think we mentioned earlier, they did mention in the press conference that Brandon bai, um has been nursing an injury, so maybe you can excuse that number a little bit since I, I feel like he had... Oh boy! I mean, like a third of those crosses. I mean, he—it seemed like he was just pushing up and crossing all night. But surprisingly, only five were him. <laughs> oh, no, that did, did, not, did not feel like it. Buttner had seven, but I think part of those are the corner kicks. Interesting. Yes. Yes. Uh, Well, regardless, crossing uh, did not work. Finishing did not work. Um, I I would say right now the biggest downfall of our offense is just finishing, and we don't need to hammer this home anymore. I don't know if you have any thoughts. I don't want to beat a dead horse. Um, But he also asks, uh, where should we be looking to use the options we have up front, Uh, which I assume he's talking about the uh, new guys coming in uh, and what our lineup might look uh, in the next week after the quarantine period for Kakuta Mene, uh, and Tommy McNamara. So, Sean, uh, first thing, if you want to go into what our biggest downfall on offense is, um, you can go into that more. If, if uh, you don't think we've covered enough, but uh, after that, um, what should our offense be looking like with our new options?
0: No, I mean I think you covered it. It's the finishing, and you know, to a well, to maybe an equal extent, the the final pass, especially when that when they're in that position to kind of play a low cross in front of goal. Um, Gustavo Bo has been in that position a lot, uh, you know, tonight and in the MLS's back tournament, and the the cross there, the low cross there was just off. Um, so yeah, it's the it's, it's that it's the the final touch and the the final pass and the final shot. Um, which are you know are pretty important um, but yeah the, the new options I think when Kakuna Mane comes in here so Kakuna Mane is, is you know we're getting to those trades now Kakuna Mane is a guy that uh, you know four or five years ago was somebody that I was really excited to watch in MLS um, I, I for one was personally very excited when he was getting U.S. citizenship because to me he struck me as the perfect kind of guy off the bench for the u.s national team the guy with his kind of pace that was doing really well in mls seemed like somebody that to me uh could really benefit the u.s national team as kind of a late game sub um and you know he never really got that opportunity i think he got called into camp at one point by bruce arena actually um but never actually got a cap for the u.s national team and his play really kind of fell off a map after that um he was still a useful mls player but he was you know he was a very young guy in MLS that looked like he could be, you know, a superstar, um, and never really became one. He never really developed, and I think his, his play dropped, if anything, over the last few years. Um, so, you know, Bruce Arena is a guy that seems to think. He can, you know, kind of kind of takes his reclamation project and thinks He can make players get back to the the good form they once had. Um, I think we're starting to see that with Kellen Rowe, and I think Kakuda Mane is another kind of one of those project players. You know, it was a, it was a low risk move to to go for Kakuta Mane and give a, you know, international roster spot that comes back to them next year. They didn't really give up anything for him. Um, so in in that sense, I think it was a good move. Um, but if if they can get him even sort of, you know, seventy five percent of that player, he was four or five years ago. Um, I would expect him to start over Teal Bunbury. I would expect Christian Panilla to kind of move back onto the right side, which is where we saw him playing... The first two games of the season under Arena, and then you have a Revolution team that has a ton of pace coming at you on the wings in the beginning of the game. Um, and, and you know, we talked about some of those other guys like dewan Jones or you know, tajan Buchanan. If you use him still, uh, that could come on late in the game and, and run at tired legs if those guys need a break. But um, I think that's kind of be the way the, the Revolution go when Kukudamae comes in and is ready to, to, to kind of play and start for this team. Is he starts out wide. Um, opposite of, if Chris, Christian Panea, and they kind of just burn teams with pace and hope that Mane and Panea can put in, you know, half decent crosses to Adam Buxa. Um, but, you know, that's something I'm excited to see. Tommy McNamara, uh, is interesting. So he, I, I think in his, in his press conference, he actually said he was more used to playing. Uh, central midfield he's a guy that you know we've seen on the wing as well and it's kind of more someone to to cut inside than run down the flanks and put crosses in um, but it sounds like he's more comfortable in central midfield and it sounds like that might be where he's expecting to play with the Revolution. Um, and because of that, I don't know that he unseats Kellen Rowe. I don't think he does. Um, and I guess the other thought process would be there then to do the Revolution kind of change a formation and play him more as, you know, a number 10. And I don't think he, they do that either. So I think, I think McNamara is going to be more of a bench option and a change of pace. And you mentioned how many games there's going to be in rotation. Uh, I think he's a guy that, you know, if Kellen Rowe needs a break, we might see him start there. Um, maybe he sees some time on the wings, but I, I don't see him as the regular starter. Um, whereas... As long as Carly's heel is out, I do think Kakuta Mane um, has every chance to be a starter.
1: Yeah, I agree with your, your kind of assessment and, and what we can expect from uh, these two roles uh, going forward. Um, before we move on, I was going to save this towards the end, but I, I think while we're touching on these trades, it's it's kind of uh, relevant to just do it now. Um, I kind of asked everyone to grade the trade and give a letter grade um, to both of these moves. Uh, so Sean, I'll, I'll just get you real quick. And I think the first one's the obvious one. Uh, uh, Revs trade an international roster spot for the remainder of tw- the 2020 season uh, to Cincinnati. They receive back. Kakuta Mene, uh, just for the listeners that may, might be out of the loop on this one, um, when Luis Caicedo went on the season-ending end, in, injury list, um i guess the revs did get his international roster spot back i think in the past i have said that they do not or at least i do not expect them to it never doesn't explicitly say in the rules uh you would think it would be in the rules if that was the case uh but it wasn't and they did get an international roster spot and they took that international roster spot they sent it to cincinnati for kakuta minet so they essentially use an asset they were not going to use and they received minet back sean i give this one a solid a Uh, what do you think of the trade
0: yeah, I agree, and it's because it's a, a very low risk move. They didn't give up anything. They're getting back the international roster spot next year. Odds of them making an international trade in, in COVID um, in this summer window, I think, was pretty slim. And Bruce Arena you know, certainly indicated it probably wasn't going to happen. Um, you know, again, Kakuta Mani was a fantastic player in MLS uh, when he was with Vancouver Whitecaps. You know, it didn't work out for him in the same way for the Columbus Crew. It hasn't worked out for him the same way for FC Cincinnati. Um, but and, you know, and again, I think even with, with Vancouver towards the end, he wasn't the same player, uh, but there's there's no risk here. You know, he's got a, a big salary, but my guess is that it's not guaranteed next season. Um, so if he's really poor, they either try to renegotiate that to something lower or they move on. Uh, so to me, it's an A and, you know, they needed to make some changes with Carly's heel out. We saw the offense with Steele. I think we saw in this game, um, especially with Carly's heel out that, you know, there was a lot of talk that the revolution had a deep bench at the beginning of the season. I, I think we're starting to learn that that's not necessarily true. So adding, you know, Kakuda Mane, even if he just ends up being a bench player, I think was, it was the right move for the revolution, even if just a, you know, half a season rental.
1: Yeah, this is a complete salary dump and good teams make these trades. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing they're really losing is the additional salary, uh, which kind of ties into the next one uh, actually is, the Reds aren't really taking on much salary because Mené makes three hundred seventy-five thousand. McNamara makes one sixty-five. That's four five forty in salary. Uh, Wilfred Zahibo, who was traded, made five thirteen. So they 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 added on about twenty thousand dollars in salary uh, last Monday through these two trades. Um, so so it's not even really tacking on salary for the revolution, uh, in terms of their books. But, um, yeah, in terms of the Mene trade, 61% of the people that took this poll rated it as an A, 27% gave it a B, 11% gave it a C. This isn't a game changing trade, but it's a trade that good teams make. It adds a depth piece and it it gets rid of an asset that you weren't going to use. It's a risk-free trade. If he doesn't work out, you move on from him after the season, if he has an option. And even if he's guaranteed for next year, he's depth, he's a bench player for 375,000. You may be overpaying a little bit, but he doesn't take an international... roster spot uh he's a high potential guy he's fast as hell that's a good trade um, trade number two, the Revs get Tommy McNamara. They also get 150000 in 2020 allocation money, 25000 in 2021 allocation money. They trade Wilfred Zahibo. They also trade an international roster spot, but that's just Wilfred Zahibo's international roster spot, so it's not like the Revs need to acquire one or anything like that. Again, they weren't going to use that international roster spot, so they just send it to Houston, basically get some some allocation money back uh, for doing that. Uh, Sean, grade this trade. What do you think about it?
0: Yeah, so if, if you had asked me, and maybe june of last year um i'd give it an a you know if you ask me now i think Wilfred Zahibo has actually been a useful player for bruce arena um i think he you know really came into his own in the second half of last season and i think you know even in the mls's back tournament in his limited minutes i thought he made an impact so i do think they're losing a guy um that was a useful player to the revolution and i think there's a lot more pressure now on matt Polster to step up and be that player you know, we talked about Matt Polster earlier and I think, you know, there's, there's every chance that he does step in and, you know, is a better player than Wilfred Zahibo. but there's also, you know, yeah, hate to say it. There's also certain chances with, you know, given his history that he could get injured um, or that he couldn't be available every game. And now they don't have Wilfred Zahibo. They're relying on Scott Caldwell. And, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about Scott Caldwell's limitations and about how the revolution have, you know, overall outside of Matt Polster and formerly Wilfred Zahibo, an undersized central midfield. Um, so, i'm I'm not sure what to make of this trade. I think Tommy McNamara is a guy that offensively can can help the central midfield, but he's also just another one of those you know five eight five nine uh central midfielders that the revolution have and they're kind of undersized for that role um I think he's a guy that you know adds a good rotation piece off the bench. Um, But, you know, do I think the revolution are better off with Wilfred Zahibo than Tommy McNamara? Yes. Um, With that said, the revolution, you know, got allocation money out of this um, are going to have an extra open international roster spot next year from getting rid of Zahibo. Um, this one to me is kind of a I'd like to, to rate this an incomplete, but I, I'm going to I'm going to go and say maybe a, a B, a B for this one um, with the potential that could, this could go either way.
1: Yeah, that's a fair grade uh, our a is 15 percent of the people that took this poll gave it an A, 33 percent gave it a B, 46 gave it a C, five gave it a D or an F. Uh, there's only four options on Twitter, so I kind of combined the two. But um, I mean, ultimately, if you think about it, Polster is coming in to replace Hebo. We talked about it when the Pollster signing happened. Sahibo is making a lot of money for a rotation central defensive midfielder um he did give you a lot of size and strength um he he was a really solid anchor a really physical player in that midfield but I don't think he was going to get a lot of minutes under arena. And I think after the end of the season, I mean, we don't know his contract situation, but if there was an option, I I think an option, an option was exercised last year, which would mean the revs have the opportunity to walk away from him at the end of this season. I think the revs were, we're moving on from him at the end of this year. He's just not worth over half a million dollars in salary plus an international roster spot. So I I think Zibo was kind of on his way out. They've replaced him with Holster. Um, There is a bit of a gap at central defensive midfield, um, but bringing in McNamara, uh kinda adds on someone to, to back up that kind of Kellen Rowe position. Um, and and you still have Scott Caldwell, which I know you know he's not everyone's favorite player, um, but I think he he's a fine enough player that can come in give you a spot start, give you twenty minutes late in the game to close out something. Um, I, I just think that you know you don't need Zahibo, Polster and um, Scott Caldwell fighting for the same one spot on the field. So um, ultimately, I I think this is a good trade. They got a little bit of allocation money, which I don't think really helps them out in the future because most of it was 2020. So I think that's just essentially easing the books for this year I don't, I don't really think that's going to help them much in terms of the trade market throughout the rest of this year uh, maybe they, they acquire another player for free going forward but
0: well, and, and who uh, knows if they have allocation money that expires next year that they
1: were going to use this year that now they can save for next right. year and use that money for this year who knows and the other thing too is i'll say is that you know coming into this transfer window the, the revs don't have a lot of assets they didn't have any dp spots they had one international spot we didn't think they had one at, at the beginning of the transfer window, but they had one international roster spot that they weren't going to use. Bruce Arena doesn't want to bring in a player, uh, you know, on a, on a higher salary than, than you know an American player, and uh, you know, bring them over and have a language barrier and not know their teammates and, and have the COVID issues. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of issues in terms of bringing in someone from overseas. So um, they, they really did great with what they had to work with. They really had no assets um given away here i mean it sucks losing Wilfred Zebo but i think he was on uh, uh you know his last legs here in new england um those international roster spots won't be missed i, I think the revs did very well um i give this one a b2 uh, but i give it a b plus because as i say I, I think this just um wilfrid was a player that you weren't really going to see much of after the mls's cup uh, uh mls's back cup tournament. Um, we did get some comments here. Uh, Mike D says, um, we weren't going to make, uh, any international signings, losing Zeebo sucks, but it opens up an international roster spot for next season. Personally, I think both trades were low risk with high upside, which is kind of what you said, Sean, um, David Spillian gave a, this Zeebo trade a C mostly because he liked him, <laughs> Uh, and also you don't know what you're getting with Tommy McNamara, which I think is a very fair concern. I definitely think it's a downgrade in terms of, um, players. Um, Cameron Young says a from an A. Uh, basically because you got him for free C because uh, for McNamara, because the player is not an upgrade uh, and he, he sees it more as a salary dump type of move. Uh, Paulo says uh, he's concerned about Polster getting hurt and depth at central defensive midfield. And then Sandra Lawson says the first one's a freebie, nothing to lose. sure on the second one. Have a feeling McNamara will most mostly be depth and not around for that long. Uh, on the other hand, he's cheaper than Zahibo, who Bruce didn't seem very confident in. So uh, we don't know the, the contract situations with Manet and McNamara, but I assume they both have options. I assume they can both move on uh, if if they don't work out. And these are just low-risk moves. These these are moves that boost your depth. They boost your bench, which which seem to be a real big issue in the MLS's back tournament with no subs coming in until the 75th minute in the Orlando Heat. And I, I think it's uh, overall, I mean, it can't hurt.
0: Well, the question here now is, and we've we touched upon some of the young guys that are no longer you know, probably going to see as many minutes with these guys. What does this mean for Diego Fagundes? I mean, it seems like they brought in two guys that are playing the same two positions that you'd expect to see him at.
1: Yeah, we saw Diego Fagundes tonight um, pretty early, too. Um, I, I, I get the feeling that Bruce Arena is ready to move on from from Diego this year, too. I mean, he's a free agent at the end of the season. Um, he just doesn't have a lot of confidence in him. So I imagine we're going to see Diego Fagundes every now and then come in at the 85th minute. Um yeah, I mean, I don't think we're going to see much Diego anymore, do you?
0: No, I mean, I I struggle to see where his minutes are going to come from if you know all these guys are here and healthy, unless there's an injury. So
1: um, that's he, going to he be was something, already, something to watch. He was already on the way out, in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I he was already pretty buried on the depth chart, and so this obviously does him no favors. It, it obviously, you know, decreases his minutes even more. Um, but, I mean, even before this, I mean, he, if Bruce Arena had any confidence in him, he would have been one of the first guys off the bench playing the wing or playing the central – you know, attacking midfield role or playing a central midfield role. And um, I think he had his, his chance the, the first two games of the season and, and Bruce really didn't like what he saw.
0: Yeah, no, agreed. I think I think we're going to see
1: very little of Diego going forward if people stay healthy. Moving back to some listener questions now that we've gotten those trades out of the way. Um, actually, we did get a question here uh, while we were recording back on DeJuan Jones. Uh, at Done 29 says, Jones offered far more in the attack and has much uh, better pure talent. By offers good defensive cover, uh, but often plays uh often uh lacks direct balls, uh lacks the ability to provide quality crosses, and Jones is far ahead faster, and I would love to see Jones developed at right back uh, thoughts. Um, I, I kind of agree with that. I, I think I think a lot of people beat up on Brandon by. I think he's been fine, um especially defensively. He's really grown defensively. I'm still not very confident Duan Jones as a uh, outside back defender but if you have a team that you can overpower if you're playing you know chicago at home or i don't know vancouver or you know if you're, you're playing someone you can beat up on i, I would like to see ni- uh, 90 minutes of Dewan jones at right back i, I think he's uh, got incredible athletic ability um again still a little raw in terms of crossing and, and defensive ability but um he's your your you know, number one option at, at outside back. I, I think uh, right back would be a really nice spot for him if something were to happen to Brandon Baye or if this injury lingers even further.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you had asked me this again at the beginning of the season, I think I would be completely on board. And I think I was suggesting that DeWan Jones might actually beat out Brandon Bay for the right-back spot this season. But with that said, uh, and we've talked about it on past podcasts, I think Brandon Bay's crossing ability has gotten a lot better. We didn't see it in this game, um, but now we you know, heard after the game that he was coming off of an injury that we didn't necessarily know about. Um, so we, I guess you can give him a pass. But I think this season, his, his passing or his crossing has improved tremendously. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know that I would necessarily – want to see juan jones go in there even in a situation where the revolution are going to be more of the attacking team i think brandon by actually does really well when the revolution are going to be more of on the attack um i would almost rather see Dewan jones in a situation where the revolution are going to get pinned back because i think he can kind of use that extra speed that he has you know to get back defensively and to still you know get a contribute offensively when the opportunity arises but i think brandon buys you know offense has developed um a lot this year. And I you know, certainly he plays a lot better when he has Carles heel to play off of. I think the two of them combine pretty well when Carles Heel is kind of playing as that right winger that cuts inside and Brandon by is kinda of offering the, the the width out there. Um but I wonder if that'll work too when when you know, maybe we see Christian Pania on the right side and as as a kind of a left footed guy. We might see him cutting inside more and giving more opportunity for Brandon Bye on the right. So I'm not ready to make that switch yet, but I, I do think there's a lot of potential from Dewan Jones as a right back. Um but I just think Brandon Bay has improved a lot this season and, you know, maybe we didn't see it in this game, but overall I think the the offense that Brandon Bay provides um, is beginning to get a bit more polished than even what, you know, Dewan Jones provides offensively.
1: And Brandon why had a pretty good first half in this game. I, I mean, he was pushing up. He, he did a really nice job with pressing. He, he intercepted and, and made a few dispossessions in the first half um, that really helped the counterattack. Um, crossing obviously was not there. I know we had. You know, been praising his crossing. It's still not great. It's still not A plus material. Uh, you still want to see some some continued improvement uh, on that front. Um, but you're right. Um, By I think is certainly a suitable right back. I think he was nominated for best right back of the MLS's back tournament, he which was. I thought was pretty. Supr- I mean, I guess maybe I don't know. I didn't think he was a standout performer at all in the, the tournament. I thought he played fine, but I, I didn't realize he was getting accolades at the league level, but I'll take it. Um, so, I mean, I I guess. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I feel like is, is making some strides. But um, yeah, I, I'm not going to fight you too hard on this one uh, either way. Uh, we got a question from Phil Fleischer. Um, if the Rebs farted, would Charlie Davies say it smells like roses? Um, I had the Philly broadcast. since I live in Philadelphia. So Sean, uh, what are your thoughts on this one?
0: I mean, I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast or if I just talked about it on Twitter. But when we had, I mean, when we heard Paul Mariner was leaving the Revolution's broadcast booth, I think the, the fear was always the, the fear was always that Paul Mariner was a guy that was willing to you know, challenge Brad Feldman and, and not be a homer and call out the team when they weren't playing well and kind of added that tactical analysis that you don't necessarily get um from a former player uh you know charlie davies is a guy that's close to a lot of players on this team we talked about that before that that's you know that's a good thing he knows a lot of the guys on the team he can offer some insight in that way but it also means that he's probably not going to be the harshest critic of the revolution um and i think that's just the just the reality that there is out there is that charlie davies is close to a lot of these players he's not that far removed from playing for this team you're not going to get him uh calling out players It's, it's you know if you listen to him on podcasts or mls uh, broadcast. He's he's willing to call out players after they leave the Revolution, but he doesn't seem to be so willing to call them out while they're on the team. And I think that's just the reality of having a recent player in the broadcast booth.
1: Well, I, I, I've been listening to the, um, the I don't know what the name of the show is, but the show he's been doing, Brad Feldman, and he he does seem to have some criticism. Uh, just he, it's uh, delivered very nicely, I would say, I mean, and, and which is fair. I mean, he's a team employee. I mean, you, you don't expect you know any him to to you know rip the guys he used to play with. Uh, a new one, uh, certainly. But, um, yeah, I just think that kind of comes with the territory. I don't really blame them necessarily. I mean, it's it's when you have a personal relationship with those guys, it's kind of hard to criticize. But um, I do wonder how long we're going to go, you know, if we go three more games without a goal. Uh, I think I saw on Twitter it's been 300 minutes since the Revs scored a goal. I mean, I don't know how much longer you can you know, take of this until you just kind of say, you know, this finishing sucks. <laughs> you know, it's really hard to ignore it um phil also asks us in an an attempt to be serious uh what possible positive interest could be had in this season normally i enjoy tailgating reality check uh less than five percent chance in the playoffs Um, i don't know if he says five percent chance of the playoffs or just less than five percent chance of, of mls cup but um either way you know when you can't score you can't win games we can't win games you know you're not exactly championship material i think a lot of players a lot of fans are getting frustrated with the players and the uh lack of goals um sean Let's hear your positive spin on this. Well,
0: a, a few positive spins. Um, I think the main one is, is somebody you mentioned earlier, and that's the development of Henry Kessler. Um, I think this season is always was always going to be a crapshoot with COVID. And when Carly's heel went out, uh, the Revolution's chances of of being a contender, I think, went down to zero. Um, with that said, there's still enough talent on this team to make the playoffs. Um, you know, again, as as you pointed out, they had two expected goals in this game. Uh, I don't think the Revolution finishing is as bad as we've seen it over the past four games. I think it has to improve. Um, Gustavo Boe is going to start putting away some of those chances that you know, have been good saves or have been wide or his shooting boots have been off. I think as the season goes on, he's going to get better. Adam Buxa, I think he's going to have to get better. Um, I think this is a kind of a, a rebuild year for the revolution in some ways with Carly's heel being out and, you know, maybe long-term that benefits the revs to, you know, kind of find a way to, to attack without being so dependent on him. Maybe next year he comes back healthy and the revolution have actually figured out a way to not be so reliant on him where he doesn't have to create, you know, nine chances a game. Um, but, you know, I can understand why you'd be a little bit depressed about what's going on right now with the revolution, given a, you're, you know, you're probably not going to be in the stands, you know, earliest you're going to be is October. And I don't know how realistic that is. you know, if I was a, a betting man, um, I, you know, I wouldn't be be too high on chances of being tailgating and being in the stands for a revolution game this year. Um, and, you know, if I was a betting man, I also wouldn't be betting very, very highly on the revolution making the playoffs or, or doing anything in the playoffs. But um, you know, <laughs> the, the, the one tough thing here is, is, what we've talked about a few times on this podcast and that's Bruce, we're going to you know, with the exception of maybe Henry Kessler, isn't a guy known for playing the young kids and giving them too many opportunities. And you know, we saw, you know, limited minutes for Tejan Buchanan and, and Dewan Jones in this one, um, you know, and Justin Rennicks, but you know, overall those guys haven't gotten a lot of minutes. And, you know, maybe if this is a season where the revolution, you know, aren't going to be a contender, you try to give those guys more minutes and give them a chance to develop. But uh, we haven't seen that yet, but that would be something that, you know, you could maybe see as a positive if Bruce Arena, you know, went that direction at some point.
1: Out of curiosity, what is worse? Being unable to score and create chances and get shots on target or bleeding goals like they were doing at the end of the Brad Friedel area. Which one is worse to you, Sean? Would you rather watch a team that, you know, struggles to score and, and scores once every three games or a team that gives up three or four goals a game?
0: I mean, if your team isn't a contender anyways, I think it's more exciting to have a a team that you know, is, is losing three to two or tying games three to three than, you know, struggling to, to zero zero draws or, or one nothing losses. Um, but the, the way the team was playing under Brad Friedel was miserable to watch for, for many other reasons. And I think a lot worse to watch. But, you know, if you asked me if I'd rather see the Revolution be playing kind of a more open brand where they're, you know, tying games three to three, I think that's more exciting. Um, but I do think what the Revolution is, is doing now defensively um, and, you know, kind of the, the cohesion they're building in that back line now is something that will help them a lot going forward when you know again maybe the season does end up being a wash for the revolution but when Carley's heel is back next year and when this defense is back next year you know they're going to be a lot better off for having kind of built that cohesion and being ready as a as a full as a full back four unit um to play a full season with you know behind Carley's heel
1: i'm gonna i'm gonna just kind of quickly go into my positive spin here two ways one i'm gonna say you know the last three games Philadelphia Philadelphia TFC those are tough opponents. I think Philadelphia especially is a really solid defense um, and a really great goalkeeper. I think Andre Blake is if one of the best goalkeepers if not the best goalkeeper in MLS So uh, you know not being able to crack Philadelphia you know it, it's a, it's obviously a reflection that they're not uh, able to do a whole lot without Carly's heel I also think it's that Philadelphia is very strong in the back so I, I'm gonna give them a little bit of a pass. You have DC United next Tuesday. I think there's a lot more of a chance we see a goal next week. I, I don't think they get shut out next week, um, even though it's a game on the road. Um, so that's my positive spin. I'm not willing to give up on the offense just yet. I'm very frustrated. I'm as frustrated as everyone else. But I, I do think we'll see some goals. And I do think they're going to play some some really competitive games. Uh, so that that's kind of my positive spin. Uh, if we want some not-so-positive spin to why you should keep watching, just enjoy Matt Turner while we have him. That's what I'd say. Just just, just enjoy Matt Turner while he's still in a Rebs jersey. That's that's just what I'd say. So, um, yeah, that's my reason to keep watching. No tailgating, no goals, but you have Matt Turner. That's
0: what I I'd mean, say. Is that a, I mean, that's that's kind of like a positive and a depressing thought at the same time, that's right? That's very depressing. <laughs> it's so depressing. Lithuania.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we got one more question here from Josh Goulet. Thoughts on the fake crowd noise. Sean, you a fan?
0: So I go back and forth on this all the time. Um, I, I honestly can't decide if I'm a fan or not. I, I see reasons, you know, I watched watching, um, games in Europe, uh, for example, I, I enjoyed Serie A without the crowd noise. Um, but you know, some of the other leagues I found like the German, the Bundesliga, I didn't enjoy without the crowd noise. And I think, um, it's kind of, you know, hearing the, the. The players and the coaches on the sidelines and if they're well miked and if they're you know active I think it's kind of fun to be able to hear that without the fake crowd noise Um, so I I go back and forth. I can see both views on this one Um, I I I don't know where I land.
1: Yeah, I I actually my wife asked me about it because she thought it was corny I think it's a It took a while for me to get used to it Um, and I don't I don't mind it as much anymore. I I do think for soccer I don't mind it that much but for a game like baseball um, you know, I, I I do, I do enjoy kind of the crowds. You know, yeah, there's not a lot of communication in baseball, and you you know, it's just kind of static. You know, nothing. Um, Whereas with soccer, you do hear a lot of communication. Uh, I do enjoy that. I did enjoy, um, you know, the the crowd noise cutting out for I think a Philadelphia player was running by a mic. I don't know if you picked up in the Revs broadcast, but I think it was Sergio Santos. um, You know, misses a pass or you know, whistle blows, uh, and he just yells out a huge f bomb. uh, And he yelled it close enough to the mics that it interfered with the fan noises, and so the fan noise cut out. You heard the expletive. Uh, and the fan noise cut back in. So I, I don't know if you had that one on uh, on, on your broadcast. I, <laughs> but I certainly – oh, I, I enjoy that aspect of it. So maybe it was just a, on, on our broadcast. But, um, yeah, o- overall, I, I'm i okay with it. Uh, I think it's this, – this has gotten normal enough that, you know, it doesn't really register for me anymore. But the first two weeks, I was really struggling with it. I also think, too, when it's over the top – Uh, Um, that's when it really bugs me. If it's kind of fainting in the background, it's just kind of there. It seems a little more normal, but, um, you know, I've seen some broadcasts where the the crowds are very loud and the artificial noise is, you know, just very bizarre. Um, same thing with like the fans in the background. I'd much rather see like the cardboard cutouts. I don't mind that too much. Um, but when you, you know, I know Fox, uh, MLB on Fox puts in like the graphic fans in the background that it just looks hideous. I I feel like I'm having a seizure. So, yeah, overall it's, eh, it is what it is. We're making the best of it. I'd say.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I did enjoy during the MLS's back tournament when you could hear it, when Bruce Arena was was kind of closely mic'd a couple of times and, and being able to hear him. So that's something that I I'd say, you know, when you're in a situation like that and you can hear the coaches, I, I kind of enjoy that more than the fake crowd noise. But, you know, I, I, yeah, I agree. I, I can I can go either way with it.
1: Wish we heard what he said to get that red card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sean, uh, it is now 1117 p.m. It is officially past my bedtime. So we got to wrap this up. Do you have any final thoughts here today?
0: No, I mean, I I don't think there was too much that you learned from this game that you didn't already know from the MLS's back tournament. So, you know, you you made a good point that it's been a difficult schedule. Um, DC United is not as good as the team they've been facing. So I'm curious to see what happens Tuesday.
1: Uh, Yeah, I don't think I have any final thoughts either. Just another frustrating game. But I think it's kind of what you expected. It's more of the same from the Revs, And, you know... We can we can give them enough time to see if they turn around, but uh, we're getting into the really really frustrating uh, portion of the schedule, and the the season is so short. Uh, you really got to turn around, and you really got to win the games. Uh, when when you go and you you outplay someone, two expected goals to 0.5 expected goals uh, at home, you, you want those three points and. Ah, just more of the same. Uh, but still, still two more new players to see that we haven't seen. So Still there, two new players. There, there is that to look earth, forward to. They're not earth-shadowing acquisitions. They're not going to replace Carly's heel, but we got them for basically free, uh, and it's going to make them a stronger team. And if they strike gold with one of them, who knows? Who, who knows how far this team can go? But, Sean, where can people find you on social media?
0: You can find me at Sean L. Donahue.
1: And you can follow us at Revolution Recap. Please be sure to like our Facebook page, uh, Revolution Recap. And also please leave or serve you on iTunes or wherever you're listening. We are back next week. Let's see. Hang on one second. We got DC United next Tuesday. And then the Red Bulls, the Revs, are back at home to an empty crowd next Saturday, Saturday the 29th. So we might do a podcast next Sunday, Sean? Question mark?
0: Yeah. I mean we got we to gotta figure it out what the – weird schedule
1: (laughs) yeah i don't know i don't think we'll do a dc united one but we'll potentially be back next weekend for kind of a double we'll we'll do one podcast next weekend right that
0: that sounds the most likely result yeah
1: (laughs) we should have talked about this before the game (laughs) either way we'll be back and thank you all for listening go revs
0: spring is that you